Have you ever found yourself dwelling on bad news, thinking back to negative times in your life and wondering if things could have turned out differently? Well, of course you have. We all do. Humans are actually wired to dwell on negativity. The brain has evolved, in a way, to give undue weight to negative events ahead of positive events. In fact, research has shown that across a wide array of psychological events, our focus is unconsciously drawn to negativity over positivity. Research by Goldsmith suggests that negativity can make us more likely to complete a task. When the task is framed as a means to avoid the loss of something, we'll work harder than if the task was framed as a chance to gain the same positive incentive. That's classic loss aversion. Additional studies have shown that negative news is more likely to be perceived as truthful since negative information draws greater attention. A study by Hilbig shows that this increased level of attention also makes negative news seem more believable, regardless of the source of the news. And researchers Hamlin, Wynne and Bloom found that this bias towards negativity isn't something we develop later in life. It's visible from birth. Infants as young as three months old pay greater attention to negative stimuli. podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. To put this simply, we have a negativity bias, a natural tendency to notice and recall negativity in the world. In today's episode, I'll discuss this bias with behavioural science expert Adam Ferrier. Adam founded Thinkabel, a relatively new agency which has been recognised by Ad News as Australia's Creative Agency of the Year, and he's also author of several books that look at behavioural economics and brand strategy. His latest book, titled Stop Listening to the Customer, talks through how we have a natural attraction towards negativity. He cites a brilliant study where participants were asked to describe their friends and colleagues. Interestingly, 74% of the words used to describe others were negative. 
Now, the researchers didn't think these participants were, were grumpy or annoyed with their friends. No, they put it down to the negativity bias, saying that, unfortunately, we are just more likely to recall negative traits than positive ones when thinking about others. It all sounds a bit bleak, doesn't it? But Adam doesn't necessarily think so. He thinks it's just the way of the world, and it's better for us to embrace and understand this bias rather than ignore it. To kick off, here's Adam explaining what brands could learn from the negativity bias. Marketing is obsessed with creating pleasurable experiences and what we know in other areas of popular culture, i.e. entertainment and politics, is that creating negative experiences and talking about negative themes can, can often get, A, much more attention. So if you're a publisher, if it bleeds, it leads. If you're a politician and you want to, you're in opposition, you attack and you, you know, try to take down your um, opponent. And it, it's kind of, a, I guess, at, at a fundamental level due to something which I'm sure your listeners will be well aware of, which is the negativity bias. Uh, which is when uh, when we experience negative stimuli, we pay much more attention to that negative stimuli and we code it more deeply. And so in the world of publishing, in the world of entertainment, we kind of know this, yet in the world of marketing, we kind of ignore this because we're, you know, we've historically been really interested in presenting this glib, semi-perfect, uh, aspirational view of people's lives and trying to play that to people. Whereas, and I think more and more now, people are calling bullshit on that and saying, you know, that, that, that's just crap. And if you can do something negative or if you can be a bit, a bit dark uh, or if you can present something imperfect, then it's much more likely to get attention and be potentially be coded more deeply. Adam makes a really solid point around publishers and politicians leveraging this bias successfully. In his book, he shares a number of studies that showcase how beneficial this bias is to journalists. In 2013, a group of Canadian researchers from McGill set up a test to see if readers preferred negative or positive news. Before taking part in the test, the participants were asked what type of news story they preferred, and the participants overwhelmingly stated that they preferred positive articles. That's what everybody said. And yet... The study showed that these same participants routinely opened more negative articles than positive articles in the test. Now we might say we prefer these positive news stories, but often we don't even get round to reading them because we're so drawn in by negative articles. Another study analysed 65,000 online news articles. The researchers here found that articles with positive headlines performed 29% worse than those with negative headlines. They also found that negative articles have a 63% higher click-through rate. The news isn't full of negative stories because journalists are miserable. It's because data shows that we're far more likely to open remember and engage with negativity. I, I came across this, uh, you know, about five or six years ago. There was a behavioural economist called Bubba Shiv who was um, studying imperfection and, and blemishing in marketing and, and did, you know, I think, it was, I think it was almost like nine years ago now, but did a kind of uh, a study where he purposely blemished various products. And what he found was people's preference for those products went up when there was a blemish or some kind of imperfection on those products that was peripheral to the 
to the actual reason why they're buying it. So the packaging might have been slightly dented or there might have been a bad parking available at a particular restaurant or something. But if they're blemished in some way or there's some kind of negativity, then it, then for certain reasons you start to pay attention, you start to look into it, and then you might start to um, start to be interested in that and then start to justify your, your like for that particular brand and, um, and rationalise why that particular brand is good despite the negativity and therefore uh, hoodwinking yourself into liking it more. This bias towards negativity isn't just visible in our behaviour, it can also be seen when examining brain activity. Psychologist John Chachopo placed participants in an fMRI scanner and showed them three pictures containing a positive, negative or neutral scene. John measured the participants' brain's activity when looking at each image and he consistently found for every participant that the activity was highest when the negative image was shown. This is why brands that showcase their flaws can often capture our attention. In fact, a few brands have built whole marketing campaigns around this bias. Marmite states that you either love it or you hate it. Avis publicizes how they're only the number two car hire company, but that means that they try harder. One brand Adam references in his book is Norman Steakhouse, a family-run business in Brisbane, Australia. Rather than highlight the positive aspects of their restaurant, they highlight a negative, calling themselves the world's worst vegetarian restaurant. Highlighting flaws seems counterintuitive, but it can help capture attention due to the negativity bias. So maybe a way to kind of put, put, put some of this thinking together is understand the brand, have really strong brand intelligence, understand effort paradox, understanding negativity and the way that kind of all works. Um, Monte Cider a few years ago did something really interesting where every kind of carton of Monte Cider people bought, which is a cider brand in, in New Zealand, had a little twig in it. And people started to complain that there were twigs inside uh, the, the, the cartons of cider that they were buying. And what it, what it did was it, was it was a mistake. That the, it was a perceived mistake that the twig was there. So people complained and it made people kind of question what was happening at the packaging plant or whatever. But it also kind of reinforced the brand's proposition because it was so fresh that the packaging was happening at the cidery was the kind of the perceived kind of thing happening at a at an implicit level, I guess, when people are kind of processing this kind of stuff. And I guess if you kind of had to, you know, for the couple of hundred thousand people or whoever kind of spoke about it, wrote about it, passed it on or whatever, they got involved in that brand and kind of helped build that brand's uh, memorability and kind of put some effort into it. And so that made the brand a little bit more sticky. And so I love, I just love that again, as an, as an example, that's completely the opposite of what consumers would ever kind of say, or, you know, it's just a million miles away from market research, that kind of thinking. Adam's right. This approach is hardly ever considered by marketers. Rarely do we start a campaign and think about what negative aspects of the brand might attract customers. But perhaps that's just because it is so risky. I don't think I'd suggest for you listeners to head out to your boss and suggest a campaign that highlights negativity, because even the most persuasive marketers will struggle to convince your boss that that's the right risk to take. But why is this? Why do we feel so uncomfortable taking a risk like this? Surely there's something we could learn from this bias. 
I asked Adam why so few marketers would consider using the negativity bias. I think marketing's um, grown up in a, in a society that aspired to be something that they, they weren't. So there's a great quote in consumer psychology, actual self plus brand equals ideal self. And so there's some kind of gap between who we are and who we want to be, and you plug that gap with a brand. And so marketing has historically been trying to create dissonance between who I am and the brand promise. It will make me sexier, thinner, more intelligent, whatever it is. And so that's led to a whole lot of brands betraying themselves as being really glossy and shiny and bright. I reckon what's starting to happen is that society is actualised, especially in kind of like Western society, where we're starting to get enough. People are going, oh, fuck, that's a bit... That was a bit of a false promise. I want a little bit more realism in my brand. I want to have a little bit more self-acceptance, a little less aspiration. And so I want brands to stop portraying this kind of overly glib positive image of themselves. So I think we've learned, so I think marketers have learned to be really positive and speak in really positive terms because of the aspirational brands role that brands used to play in people's lives. Publishers, on the other hand, are just interested in uh, selling news, and so they learned very easy, very early about the negativity bias, and had a whole lot of negativity in their headlines and so forth. And they had kind of real time uh, results in terms of their data that said the more negativity we put in, the more people, the more stories people read. And so you know, they learned that way. And then politics and enter- and entertainment's the same. You know, you look at you know top rating TV shows about you know they're about murder, they're about dark themes they're about unexpressed the the emotions we want to express as 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 a i used to work in a prison system there's a famous book at the time called bad men do what good men dream by a guy called robert simon and it was talking about all the fact the fact that we a lot of us have negative emotions and negative thoughts and bad people act on them good people kind of learn how to deal with those kind of things but but for many of us they're there at some level and we're we pay attention to it when we see these kind of messages in society. There is a balance that's needed in most marketing campaigns. Being overly positive and glib will only come across as superficial and indistinct. Highlighting some amount of negativity can help your brand cut through the noise and allow it to stand out. This is because the negativity bias doesn't just help capture attention, it actually allows your brand to stick in consumers' heads for longer. A 2009 paper by Larson reviews ample evidence to suggest that negative emotions actually last longer than positive ones. It also found that we actually spend more time thinking about negative events. Some brands have successfully leveraged negativity around their brand to create really memorable campaigns. Back in 2009, Domino's CEO famously admitted that their pizza crust tasted like cardboard. They created a campaign called the Pizza Turnaround, where they revealed all their harshest criticisms from real focus groups and then strived to fix them. KFC published a full-page apology after running out of chicken in the UK and repositioned the KFC letters to spell F-C-K rather than K-F-C. These negative campaigns capture our attention due to this bias, and when they're done well, they can be some of the most memorable ads around. Uh, according to evolution, evolutionary psychologists, when you see positive information, it's not like you see a nice daffodil. It's not a matter of life or death if you pay attention to that nice daffodil. You just see it and it passes you by. You don't need to work hard to code that. 
you see a saber-toothed tiger in a tree, you have to process that information and it stimulates the fight or flight response. And then you code that and go, right, shit, there's a saber-toothed tiger in a tree, I better run. And so it's much more important for survival that we pay attention to negative stimuli than we do to positive stimuli. And so, so negativity bias is a real thing. It works at a cognitive level. You pay attention to negative stimuli. You process it harder, but it works at an emotional level as well. And, and interestingly, obviously, of our six primary emotions, four are negative, fear, disgust, anger, and sadness. One's positive, which is joy, and one's neutral, which is surprise. Um, and so we're kind of hardwired, if you like, to, to pay more attention to negative stuff. So next time you're writing a press release, a blog, or even a tweet, perhaps think again about all the positivity you might be forcing into that message. Marketing doesn't have to be positive to be remembered. In fact, some of the best campaigns don't reference positivity at all. Now that's all we've got time for today, but thank you for taking the time to listen. I have had great fun chatting with Adam for this episode, but I also enjoyed reading his latest book, Stop Listening to the Customer. Now usually at this part of the show, I'd talk about all the wonderful parts of Adam's book, but I wanted to leverage a bit of the negativity bias, so I'm going to highlight something that many, many people would consider a negative. Adam's book just isn't too long. It gets to the point without much waffle and gives you that satisfying feeling of learning something without spending ages reading for it. So maybe a negative for some of you, but a real positive for me. There's obviously heaps of other reasons to pick up a copy of Adam's book, but I'll let you discover those for yourself by clicking the link in the show notes where you can go grab a copy. And there's also a link down there to his agency, Thinkabell, where you can get in touch with him or if you want to work with him directly. That's all for today's show. Be sure to sign up to the Nudge email mailing list. That way you'll make sure that you never miss a future episode because I'll send you a personal email every time a new show goes live. All right. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.